Welcome to the Rambling Ranger podcast, episode 15. Uh, my name is Luke Taylor, and today I'm joined here by, I'd like to thank a special guest, um, the chair of SCRA currently, and someone that had been a ranger for a very long time, um, George Potts. Um, how are you doing today, George? Hi, Luke. It's great to catch up with you. Um, it would be better in person, but Zoom it is, and so we'll, we'll see how we go. I've got a formidable um, reputation for destroying technology. So fingers crossed we've managed to get through this interview. No, I'm sure we will. Um, as you quite rightfully said, it's always nicer to be able to sit down with people. And you in particular, I did want to sit down and do this one in person, but we'll uh, we'll make do with what we've got technology-wise. And um, as I said, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get through this just fine. But um, how about just for everyone that's listening, George, you just um, introduce yourself. Well, uh, Luke, um, as you said, my name's George Potts. I was born and raised in, and worked in Dundee as uh, as a ranger and um, so that's been my base for most of my working life i actually live about two miles from where i was born uh, and a mile from my family home where i was raised so i'm very much a home bird but this is a great city to live and work in access to the wider countryside is right on our doorstep got the magnificent tay estuary uh, running past and yeah it, it's a, a natural city in terms of its setting and the opportunities that it offers. So it's, it's been a great place to live and work. Uh, that's where I've raised my family. And as a fisherman, that's my main hobby. Then there are great many opportunities around here as well. So uh, Dundee's my base and I'm very pleased to be here. I certainly think, I don't think many people, certainly nowadays, can can quite say that they've, uh, as you have, um, live now and have worked in the same place for, for as we'll go on, the amount of time that you have, which I think is incredible um, in itself. And the, the stories that you're going to share with us today are, um, some of them just fantastic. And that kind of weaves us into current affairs as well with the Scottish Countryside Rangers um, Association. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's just get into it. Um, of course, the, the big question is, I mean, you've been a ranger now for the past what 33 well had been a ranger for the past 33 years um how did you first get kind of get into that line of work and um what was it like um well look we're uh, way back to 1983 and before you say anything i realize that is before you were born <laughs> um i i'd finished college and my interest in fish and my uh, kind of biological background in that sense took me off to fish farming so i did that for a few years and that was kind of let's say character farming it was a tough and interesting regime <laughs> then i got paid off and i needed a job <laughs> so back to dundee and um, a seasonal post came up at a, a local park and i applied for it i didn't get it <laughs> and um, after a week or so, they phoned me again and said, um, yeah, are you still interested in doing this job? So I started seasonal in February 1983. And look, the, the pay was rubbish and the hours were long. Um, but the, the mixture of jobs that we got to do and the people I worked with at that time uh, just made it a, a, a really enjoyable and it carried us through the tough times. So rangering at that time, there was a degree of policing and enforcement required in terms of um, modifying visitor behaviour. Now I was in an urban park on the edge of town. It was a fairly new park. And so um, let's say the attitudes towards this uh, were needed challenged. It wasn't a valued resource. Uh, and it was seen as some place where you could uh, come and have a, a, a drink and a big party and a barbecue and indulge in antisocial behaviour. So we had challenging times, but gradually, as the Rangers service was established within the park, 
and we were able to engage with visitors and people realised it was someplace that was looked after, then these problems faded and we were allowed to get on with engaging in the local schools and environmental education, working with community groups and most of all at that time uh, developing a recreational facility. So I had to learn to sail, I had to learn to windsurf and I had to learn to kayak and um, that was a big part of our job um, was offering a water sports facility and we made it busy uh, uh, you know but brought a lot of people to sail um, I nearly drowned a few people in a kayak but that's a different story um, and we worked long shifts and so it was a double shift system 10 in the morning till 6 and then 2 in the afternoon till 10 p.m so in the summer hours um, you know, the park was open for these kind of 12 hour shifts um, and it was a boom time for Ranger Inglook, a way very different outlook to what we have today. So uh, within the seasonal side of things then posts were added to, full time posts were established and there was a career structure within that so each park that in the setup I worked in, each park had a senior ranger, there was a chief ranger and then there was a countryside officer. Um, so that career structure was there. It was a wee bit of a boys club, to be honest, at that time. There were girls involved in, in rangering, but they were far and away the minority. Yeah. Um, it's maybe overstating it a bit, but essentially at that time, if you had O-level woodwork and wanted to work outside, then you could be a ranger. <laughs> and it, it attracted folk from quite a va wide variety of backgrounds. So my first boss, um, he was a shipwright to trade. He'd worked on the British Antarctic Survey um, and was a brilliant man manager. Uh, and a lot of his philosophy and outlook stayed with me right through my career. So th these were formative times for me. Um, obviously, um, in terms of working with the public, I would say I was a bit raw and uneducated in that sense. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed working with school kids and, uh, and I was able to make something of that. Then I got my ranger training in 1986 um, and the whole scene changed really for me. Uh, I understood about the profession, I understood about the national network and the philosophy behind rangering um, and and th that gave me a different take on it. So through the 80s and into the 90s and we got a new visitor centre but added to our staffing levels um, and from an urban park that had a lot of antisocial behaviour I was getting 90,000 visitors a year. Now, this was Scotland's smallest country park, uh, and we really put ourselves on the map in terms of the work that we were doing there and the levels of engagement that we had. I reckon that we were the most accountable ranger service in Scotland. Essentially, if a job wasn't done, it's because we hadn't done it. And so it was very evident about the, the work that we were carrying out. We had a daily diary where we had to record all the work that we did and that provided, uh, in, in hindsight, provided a real basis for understanding the importance of reporting, uh, annual reporting um, and actually getting a profile for the work that Rangers carry out. So, uh, yeah, it was a wee bit like the Wild West. I, I remember a, a chap who came and worked with us occasionally and then eventually he did retire. And I got a nice card from him saying that he loved his time working with us. It was just like the Wild West. You never knew what to expect from one day to the next. And, and that's kind of how it summed up. And, and I think a lot of Rangers will relate to that experience. You just never know what to expect from one day to the next. It's interesting. And I think you've, you've, you've mentioned this, this point before is obviously things are drastically different to back then. And one of the things you said to me was it was that you didn't need the level of qualifications and um, things leaving um, college or be that degrees in university to then to come into the industry. As you said, it was it was much 
I don't think it's too too harsh in saying this was simpler time. Would you say it was fair to say at that time it was had been established, or was it very much still in its? Was it still growing? And um... well, this was a, a real growth time, and, mm. and so to be honest, there wasn't enough trained, let's say, or people with a more defined background coming into that the industry. There just wasn't that pool of resources out there, and so. But that was a strength and not a weakness because you were pulling in people from all sorts of backgrounds um, and they'd come with uh, industry experience and they'd come with commercial experience uh, and yeah it's, it was really the people skills side of things that uh, were your starter for 10 in terms of getting a job so if you could engage with people um, and you had an interest in a background knowledge uh, of nature then Yes, you had a foot in the door. You mm. can imagine then, you know, offering a water sports facility. We need people. We needed people that could uh, uh, sail. We needed people that could uh, teach sailing, and so that that brought in a different mindset, brought in a different skill set, and then these people then had to adapt, learn new skills, uh, take on a role of environmental education. Um, and uh, develop the, their professional skills from there. So it, it was an interesting time. There wasn't, uh, let's say, a narrow uh, uh, field in which to draw. The field is wider than it ever was. Hmm. Nowadays, then, you need your degree, you need postgraduate experience, and possibly one or two or three certificates as, as you've worked ways yourself look uh, under that kind of regime. There was a shift in that background. So as the profession has matured, and this is, the, I think we'll go on to speak about this, about how things are now. Hmm. But um, yeah, back in these, back in that time then, there was a wide, wide variety of backgrounds that people came and went uh, to, to rangering. So, um, you know, people would go off and become teachers, people would go off and back to industry, back to the trade that they had after a spell as a ranger, go off into management because there were plenty of opportunities at that time. Um, and so there was a, a fair turnover of, of people uh, that, that uh, were involved in rangering, moved into different disciplines, but took that rangering skill and background with them. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I loved it, so I just stayed. <laughs> it was well. You know. I mean, being in the profession for for thirty three years certainly certainly shows that. And do you think your former experience? I mean, you you did say kind of already, but in uh, fishing and your interest, I suppose, for the water is that uh, one of the reasons you fell in, I suppose, love with um, the country park that you were working um, in in Dundee. Uh, yes. So. Um, I was brought up in a little village outside Dundee and my mum was born in the, the countryside and so that was my background in terms of contact with nature. We had great freedom to roam um, out into the wider countryside so that, that was part of the engagement. When you fish then you've got to pay attention to what the birds are doing, you've got to pay attention to the weather, you've got to understand the seasons. You, you, you get a bit of entomology um, uh, and engage and you have to be tuned into the natural environment and these are all skills that rangers bring to the job now so that uh, i had an affinity there in that sense one of the early jobs i got to do which i really enjoyed was setting up a course fishery in the reservoir that formed the basis of the park um, and then create a fishing club um, i had a lot of engagement with the local kids uh, and got classes going. Um, and from that, well, I mean, we are talking 20, 30 years ago, then uh, there was a couple of Scottish junior champions came from, from that wee fishing club. Yeah. Um, and, and it ran for the best part of 25 years. Um, so, yeah, and that was something that I enjoyed doing, something that, let's say, match my interest but also assisted in the profile of the park and engagement with a, a different user group and different set of visitors and gave the park a different profile mm. um, so yeah the, the, i think my country background and my 
hobby as a fisherman then kind of predisposed me to um, be able to translate um, the, the natural world for young people. And by happy coincidence, this was a reservoir that supplied, had supplied drinking water to Dundee. And when I was doing right. my uh, college qualification, I had an industrial training placement at the water board laboratories next door. So I understood about water <laughs> treatment <laughs> and I understood about <laughs> why that reservoir was there and how it influenced the industrial development of Dundee and the population of Dundee. So um, mm. part of my uh, range of training was to write a project on that. So I did a lot of original research on the history and background of it. And that, I used that material for years and years to um, introduce that topic to children, uh, produce interpretive displays and um, you know, actually state the, the kind of background and history of the park in relation to Dundee. Um, and mm. even yet, I get inquiries um, from people wanting to understand a wee bit more about that history. So yeah, it, these kind of things fall together. Sometimes it's, no, I would say, usually it's a happy accident. Um, and sometimes it's through planning and, and actually um, thinking through and, and having a strategy about what, what you want to achieve. No, I think that's fantastic. Um, and just again, that kind of correlation to actually educating people about the, not only the the park but the city and the as you said the reservoir that's supplying water for not everyone else it's not just a, a feature or something that is part of the park but it's part of the the wider picture how would you say the the urban environment was at that time of course range uh, the work of rangers is often divided between and certainly is still nowadays uh, depending on where you work and um, be that in kind of an urban environment where I've worked in a, in a big city or um, be that in the national parks where you're, you're up the hills and um, engaging with hill, um, people that are hill walking, cycling and all, all the other recreational um, activities. How do you think it was at that time uh, for you uh, with obviously more of a, would you say a city wide audience? Well, it was the front line and, and not in a bad way. It was the front line in terms of introducing people to the countryside. Um, encouraging responsible behaviour, but mostly ensuring that they were welcome. And, and that's been at the core of a ranger's job since day one, providing a welcome for visitors to the countryside. Um, and while we might not at that time have been aware exactly of what we we're trying to do, we understood that this was our park. We had to, we were, our job was to promote it and to encourage visitors to come. So there were urban challenges, but that's the front line. Um, and if you can help people develop uh, habits of responsible behaviour, uh, help them understand and appreciate the wildlife that's there, they take that attitude and outlook with them when they go to, off to our national parks or to our scenic areas. And so if you're working up in the Pentlands, a, a fair percentage of your visitors will already have the mindset and attitude of caring for the countryside. And that's a job that needs to happen in the urban setting to, to send people out and with the kind of right outlook and the right mindset um, for how they're going to access that wider countryside. So, yeah, it, yeah. I, I did see that as a front line in terms of visitor attitudes and helping people to behave. We see through this pandemic, for example, Luke, that people can access the wider countryside with a fairly damaging attitude towards it. Um, and yeah. that, that, that results in the need for more policing and enforcement and car park attendants and litter pickers and wildfire dangers. Um, and a ranger's job has come to the fore in terms of what needs to happen to mitigate that behaviour. 
So we had the same through the 70s, 80s and 90s, engaging with and, and um, helping to inform visitors. I think one of the key things, Luke, is that when people engage with a ranger, and this may be a global phenomenon, but when people engage with a ranger, then they understand what the, 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 the need is, they understand that you're looking after the, um, that particular area, you're looking after that particular species. Um, and that engagement goes with them. So wherever they bump into a ranger, beyond their initial contact, they have an understanding of the job. And I think that influences their behaviour and influences um, their mindset in terms of what happens when they do meet a ranger out in the wider countryside. So it's an important first step. If you're able to meet people basically on their doorstep and introduce yourself, then that sets the tone really for uh, for a wider engagement. So and that's where our barge is important in Scotland. Uh, as you've no doubt heard many, many times, Luke, it's the only ranger barge in the world with people on it. And I think that's a very important statement. I, it's, I think it's a really important point. And yeah, as you mentioned with the, the people factor, even as simple as uh, a thing on the badge, I think we discussed as well, that the, the way the country and the highlands and our outdoor spaces are for people, they're set up for people. And I suppose without the jobs that are catering and facilitating from a visitor engagement point of view, but also just a, a, an awareness and a, a set of enforcement and a harsh enforcement and again, a reactionary role. We need this um, awareness bringing um, role um, in there as well, which is obviously what uh, a ranger is and the role is designed for. Um, and I think it's something I had considered as well, but the the aspect of having rangers in the city actually influencing then the, the visitors not only within the city and the parks but also the people in the national parks and again that'll um, that'll impact the, the people and the rangers that are working there um, and yeah as I said uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, saying that how did your role I suppose then evolve over time coming from uh, seasonal George to then into then a more of a, a managerial position um, yeah, so within seven years, I was um, managing the park as a senior ranger, and you got to put your own stamp on it. So my drive at that time was visitor engagement. I ran a very comprehensive events programme. Um, we engaged with lots of partners and really tried to put the, our park on the map. Um, look, when you're in receipt of public money, as we were working for a local authority, offering up accountability and uh, having a profile that let's say rewards the investment that your local authority and your grant aiding body have put into you when i felt that was very important so that was my outlook mm. um, engaging with visitors making sure that we ran a facility that local people could use and visitors to the city could use and make a real statement about the quality of that service. So I had built a great team around me by that time, and we were involved in a number of innovative projects. Um, our tree week that we did, so there's like a national tree week in December. We used to run it in November because December is, the days were too short. But yeah, we had more people attending that than anywhere else in Scotland. So. I know it's a little proud boast, but it lets you see what can be achieved um, in the urban setting. It lets you yeah. see that, okay, yeah, we'll maybe get some of these trees are snapped and some are damaged, but in the main, um, provided you stick at that, then you can overcome these attitudes and you can overcome that these little setbacks. So, yeah. Um, as we managed the park and developed it, we got a new visitor centre, um, we got more resources uh, and I would say it was a happy time in terms of the quality of work that people could do uh, and the, the latitude mm. that we had to do projects, pick up on local initiatives, engage with schools, engage with um, some innovative 
educational programs where schools would come out and do all the subjects within the country park, not just environmental, not just biological. So we had mathematicians, we had artists, we had physics students. Um, so yeah, um, that wider scope of engagement was fairly groundbreaking at that time. So there were a lot of work that we were proud of. But then the wheels came off and their uh, local government reorganisation kind of put us back to square one a little bit. So I had to build up again um, but in a slightly mm. different role. So, yeah, uh, and, and you're young enough to to uh, have this ahead of you. Not that I'm jealous or anything, but the, the, your, your working life is cyclical in the sense that there are good times and there are bad times and it and there are and it comes and goes within that so you'll have a spell where things don't go so well and it's a struggle and you have spells where suddenly all's going well you've got a great team around you a lot of good work's getting done and then something happens and that changes and but the good times do come back again and the pleasant times come back again so there is a cyclical nature to it and it's learning to recognize when things are tough understanding that they will get better and when things are going really well um, be prepared think ahead plan ahead put stuff in place that will protect you when the bad times come yeah i, I completely agree i think those are yes words of wisdom um which i always uh, take from yourself george um and yeah i think it is an important aspect to realize so certainly for any obviously it's, it can be a general broad statement to anyone but in, in our line in our profession i think it's more important than ever because there are you're seeing these rangers that have been in roles for almost as long as yourself had been and they're gone in an instant um be that due to to changes and funding and local authorities and other and other um organizations so yeah it's it's an important thing to to realize and come to terms with that um albeit these things can be um can be doing really well and actually making huge changes but um just as quickly mm -hmm. they, they can um they can disappear and i, I hope that is a that will be a lesson learned by many um places that um are perhaps considering um or wanting rangers or vice versa um wanting to kind of change the rules that the, of their rangers that the broad spectrum of what a ranger does which you've clarified is the most important part whereas um as soon as you put us in a box or put restrictions on our work you maybe do one thing over another more engagement over access um, the role itself deteriorates and actually the site itself and the places that you look after you aren't having as um, big an impact as um, what you were having before um, simply because um, you're not covering all the aspects of what makes um, a ranger's job great and um, I think I think you can agree with that yeah it, it limits the opportunities that you can take up so, um, um, as you know, Luke, I, I was very keen on uh, um, Rangers working on, within the health agenda. It's something I picked up on maybe 10 or so years ago. Uh, oh, maybe now, maybe longer. <laughs> the years disappear so quickly. <laughs> but um, recognising the, the benefit of being outdoors for people, recognising the importance of access to green space for urban populations, um, th that was uh, some some work that I was involved in in Dundee. So, and that really started with um, a heritage lottery park restoration project. So, the, what they wanted was a, a staff presence within this park, which was blighted by antisocial behaviour. Actually, it wasn't safe, um, mm. um, but it was a historic park with historic buildings, and so the my employers were able to uh, get a heritage lottery grant to restore the park but at the core of that was a, a ranger service now they weren't countryside rangers but i called them urban rangers uh, and that was a model that i picked up on in, in england down in sheffield in particular uh, that, 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 that was a, a way of making that distinction within within their role and their job for the first couple of years wasn't actually in the park. Their job for the first couple of years was outreach work. So they would go off to right. community meetings, they would go to schools and 
did even do um, let's say vox pop uh, sessions in the streets of the area around the park to find out what people wanted to find out what the issues were that they were experiencing and what they would like from the park when it was established um, and that, these projects went very well um, Dundee attracted community regeneration funding because of some levels of poverty that were have within communities in Dundee and again I was able to use that let's urban ranger model based very strongly on the countryside ranger outlook but um, community specific so they worked very closely within the communities that they were based in and there was some terrific work happened there um, and that's where I started to recognise the strong, strong link between mental health and physical well-being and engagement with the green spaces and the outdoors. Um, there a lot of work happened in Australia uh, looking at that, the health benefits of the outdoors. Um, that's an outside nation, that's, that's their culture, that's their the basis of, of how, they, how they live their family lives is outdoors. Um, we're really far north, Luke, where we are in, in Scotland. Um, Dundee is only another side uh, of the wall. Ten degrees of latitude short of the Arctic Circle, and so um, access oh. to daylight uh, is an issue here. Um, access to decent mm. weather is an issue here, and and so people people need exposure to na natural light, and so to get an urban population to regularly access the outdoors is, is really a, a, an important health step and we've seen that reinforced and become part of government policy through this pandemic and yet that science and that yeah. recognition has been around for I would say in terms of the Australian work at least 25 years but it's part of the human condition that we have to reinvent the wheel every now and again and so I'm I think this is a positive outcome of the pandemic is that people are understanding and appreciating the need to be outside and act and have access to decent green space and i'm really hopeful that that's going to cause a social change where um, a due political and financial priority is attached to green space and uh, access to quality outside green space We'll, we'll certainly we'll touch upon, um, I suppose, the changes and the things you'd like to start seeing um, going forward um, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But um, I suppose we've already talked about um, already how the role of a ranger has changed and certainly has changed over the past 33 years. But um, I suppose what would be the main thing uh, that, that you think or have realised has changed the most for, I suppose, rangers all over the country, the role itself, um, and yeah, I suppose um, places like Dundee now and uh, their ranger services, how, how has that changed? I think part of the huge change, and, and I need to be careful how I say this and don't want it to come across wrongly, but you maybe recall that I mentioned that when I first started ranger, ranger was a boys club, and that's the biggest change. So now in Scotland, half of the ranger workforce is female. And that's been a huge step forward, not in terms of mm. equality or any of that stuff, but the, the skills and the commitment and the sheer hard work that the, the girls have brought to the profession has really taken it forward. Um, most of the best rangers I worked with were female doing tremendous work, tremendously Indeed. adaptable um, and brilliant at customer service skills and, and, and great working with groups, building up a, a tremendous rapport. Now, we've just talked about the health agenda uh, and one of these key areas is the mental health side of things and the empathy and um, uh, abilities that girls brought to the job in terms of, of being able to engage with these type of groups uh, and, and people with these issues, that's been a huge boost to our profession. Um, uh, and that's the biggest change that I've seen. It's mm. still a, an active career choice for some people, but again, the qualifications and background are slightly different. Um, I would say 
smaller percentage, a much smaller percentage were graduates in the early days. Um, so it was your background and the skills that you brought uh, to the job, but the academic background uh, and then postgraduate volunteering and experience uh, has brought a, a different mindset and a different skill set to the profession and has actually helped the profession to, to move forward. I can totally agree. Um, having came from a team um, of all um, female rangers, um, it's. It, I think it's an important thing to highlight. And as you said, um, besides the equality and diversity point of how that's interestingly evolved from, as you said, kind of that stereotypical all boys profession or job at that at that time, um, what actually skills and things um, can be brought to the table via that just a diverse and mixed team rather than being all female, all um, male. Um, yeah, it's. Um, it's a really uh, interesting and uh, I suppose I, I like to think a heartwarming point that our job is so diverse and encompasses so many people as well as our audiences, but the people themselves that are working within the profession. Um, coming off of that then, um, I suppose your main highlight and the question everyone wants to know that they might not have any idea about or know what I'm about to mention, but what was and how did your meeting with the Queen occur? <laughs> That's one of my proudest days as a ranger. So I mentioned earlier that we had this heritage lottery project to restore a park, and um, that, that took a that was a five-year project, uh, and it, it went very well. And the park was transformed into a really valuable community resource, and visitor numbers just multiplied hugely. Um, so there was an official opening. And um, we were fortunate at that time, uh, that was in the summer, so the, the Queen is usually at Balmoral in the summer and does engagements around Scotland. And we were able to invite the Queen to come in and reopen the park. So um, we've got all the community groups that we've been involved with, they all had stands, we had brass bands and, and baton twirlers and <laughs> the, 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 you know, different kind of local community groups. Um, and uh, Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip came to open the park. It, it, it rained in a couple of hours prior to her visit. It was beautifully sunny while she was there. And then as soon as she was gone, the heavens opened again and we were left looking very crooked. However, um, I did get to, uh, was introduced to Her Majesty and we spoke about red squirrels. The picture that we have is, um, me and Her Majesty beside a banner which says, meet the neighbours. <laughs> um, and that work was related to uh, red squirrel work that we were doing in Dundee at that time. So uh, um, Dundee was one of the very few places in Britain that had still had an urban population of red squirrels. And we were doing work to help uh, promote that population and introduce uh, grey control uh, in order to preserve that population. So, yeah, it's a fantastic picture. I really enjoyed it. Meet the neighbours, Her Majesty and me. Um, <laughs> and we did speak about squirrels. So uh, she told me that they used to have red squirrels at Sandringham, but they don't have them anymore. And But she still sees them around Balmoral and she was delighted to still see them there and, and she was interested to learn that we had red squirrels here in in dundee so that was that was a, a pleasant exchange then prince philip came along <laughs> he asked about the squirrels we told him that we were controlling the greys and he said are there greys about here now and I said, yes, sir, there are greys in, in some of the mature gardens at the back of the park. Why aren't you away controlling them? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as if that would matter in the moment. Yeah. Um, so um, that was us well and truly royal command. Let's get out there and control the grey squirrels. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that certainly was a highlight for me um, and, and a memory that from my long ranger career that I, tre I treasure. So. 
Yeah, I think um, I think many people would agree, and I don't think many people can quite uh, say the same or have quite a story like it. It's very um, unique and very you. I think most people that do know you already know of your monumentous occasion, and I, I think you <laughs> should. Uh, <laughs> you always do highlight that. Um, speaking of which, the people that do know you, I suppose, most know you through now the Scottish Countryside Rangers Association which is the um, organisation in Scotland um, that's been around for a very long time now um, and obviously supports um, rangers in Scotland. I think that's a bit of an understatement, which you'll be able to talk about it a bit better than me. But you're obviously the current chair, so you are the, the captain uh, steering this, uh, this ship for rangers. Um, what does that role entail for you? Um, a, a lot of juggling, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> a juggling captain. Um, yes. A juggling captain. So, um, uh, as chair, I uh, help set the direction and tone of, of, of what we're involved in. Now, you'll be aware uh, that we've, in the last three, four years, we've, we've become more active on the political scene. We took a petition to the Public Petitions Committee of the Scottish Parliament uh, asking for a national strategy for Rangers in Scotland. I mean, that's led on to uh, a number of other um, uh, political uh, contacts and, and, and political engagement, which has been quite beneficial for, for our profession. It, 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 it uh, kind of paved the way really for this, thing, this recent discussion on Ranger services in Scotland related to the pandemic and the need to manage visitor behaviour. Um, so Rangers were already in the forefront of some political minds. And when this problem arose, then it, it was a smaller step for them to think about engaging more Rangers. Uh, and we see, look, over this last uh, few months, maybe even a few weeks, that uh, employers are starting to take on more Ranger posts. So that's that's been a, a very interesting part of my chairmanship. The other part which I, I'm very keen on is that we find ways of engaging with young people. Um, and so your role as a junior ambassador and now as part of the communications team, um, these are tremendously important steps. And, and in terms of engaging further with young people, um, that that's something as a chair that I, I, I attach a priority to, finding ways of engaging with, with young people and giving them the opportunities uh, to uh, extend their skills, to have new experiences and, and ultimately to have uh, new opportunities as well. So that was my starter for 10 in terms of being a, a, a chair. Now, my ranger career of 33 years that's that is historical people don't stay in the job that long nowadays no. so uh, and advice i gave to people when i engaged them as seasonal or on these different projects that i've mentioned was three to five years and then move on the interesting cvs that i saw were people who had who had a variety of backgrounds and experience um, and so the days of staying decades in the one post, the job market's not like that anymore. And so people have to be multi-skilled and multi-experienced and giving young people the opportunity to do that through an organisation like SCRA uh, is one of my priorities. So in terms of chairmanship, then you look for ways of doing that. Um, you have to set the tone for that to happen and you have to bring along other members of your SCRA council with that philosophy as well. Mm. So th that's what I, I've looked to do. Now, part of that is that if people around you shine, I might look a little brighter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Um, and I think we can... Um, two influential influential factors to your your priorities there um one being as i touched upon i suppose the 
the gradual um, loss of ranger jobs in Scotland over the years, the, I suppose, lack of recognition and awareness just in general by the the, the, the country, the general public, the nation, whatever, whatever you want to call that, just not really knowing what rangers are or um, what we do um, from, and the other thing being young people, which obviously kind of factors into everything I suppose I'm about now but um how I got into the profession and everything and I've kind of experienced it firsthand but um how young people now are flocking to conservation environmental jobs are more and are showing more of an interest in professions like uh, and, and rangering and as as organizations such as SCRA um creating more opportunities within the wider um the wider scene via that uh encouraging job increase uh, or more roles um seasonal positions um things like that just to allow easier ways in and of course there's plenty more things and pathways in that we'd like to make easier for young people which just now is really difficult as as i know and i think you're you were right in saying that nowadays most young people um are going to be fluctuating between lots of jobs which will get them lots of experience i think the only down fault side to that is it's not because they are wanting to unlike myself but it's because they have no choice they are again moving from seasonal to seasonal because either the seasonal doesn't occurs one year and doesn't the other or um there's just more demand and more um competitiveness within the hiring uh, process which which i've obviously i'm experiencing and have over the last few years um, it was something I personally wanted to do was move on from a, um, a ranger service that I could have stayed with and to, to seek out other ranger services to work with and get that experience because I felt that's what I needed. But I know for a lot of young people, when they ask the question of how do I become a ranger, it's not, obviously, it's not the first thing that they, they want to hear or um, are intending for it to be as the seasonal job because in hindsight, it's it's a lot of these seasonal roles aren't sustainable for certainly young people being that more um, of a cost on uh, accommodation and where they're living, housing and um, where they live in the country as well. And again, it's everything, I suppose, costs a little bit more nowadays. So this um, insecurity of jobs and certainly the seasonal market just now being very um, competitive uh, doesn't doesn't help at all. Um, which I'm sure comes into a lot of your philosophies with that and support, trying to influence and support young people through uh, the organisation, which is obviously SCRA. Mm. Uh, Luke, one of the difficulties or, 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 or issues is that there, uh, young, young people are making an, an active choice to come into conservation. But for me, too often, the, the single agenda interest. Mm. So. Th uh, and by that, I mean, let's we spoke about squirrels. So let's take in squirrels as an example. We want to save all the squirrels. We want to uh, uh, carry out conservation work in relation to squirrels. That's their motivation for coming into the profession. Um, and as we know, as rangers, that single agenda uh, doesn't quite cut it. No. Uh, um, you need to have a wide variety of interests. You need to recognise that here in Scotland, it's engagement with people that's the cornerstone of what we do. Mm. We have our wild areas and we have some fantastic uh, natural heritage here, but we also have an awful lot of people and, and we have to find ways of engaging with them. Look, you can go to a woodland and count squirrels for 10, 15 years and when you stop, then that work stops with you. But if you've engaged with the local community and the local population and you've got volunteers and other people whose interest that you've stimulated, then that work has got a value and that work can continue. And so a single agenda approach to rangering just doesn't work for me. And, and I think that's where the three to five year move on or seasonal and move on is useful because it's it's going to open broaden their horizons and to me make them more employable and also give them a greater range of job satisfaction as well that they're going to learn new skills they're going to uh, uh, widen the scope of of what they can do and what they can adapt to um, and move away from that kind of single agenda uh, interest 
So it's a new way of coming into the profession, which actually is mirrored to my experience when I started. So people coming from industry, people coming from different backgrounds mm. to arrive at rangering. Nowadays, they arrive at rangering and then develop different skills and backgrounds. Yeah. And that's down to the lack of job opportunities. And it's really something that needs a political priority to address. We need that succession within our profession. We need young people to be starting now, picking up skills and experience that will allow them to be the old duffers like George in 20 and 30 years time. So um, I see that uh, as um, a way forward for young people is to actually embrace that variety of opportunities that are out there and build up their skills and their background. So um, the three to five years is troublesome and sometimes it, it, it takes away any kind of momentum that you have with a community group or a project but that's just the way things are now and we have to make the very best of it absolutely i i can't agree um anymore um it's i think it's a important thing and uh something to consider it's it's the reality of the role nowadays and i think it's a pitfall trap that a lot of in my experience college students fall into where they're told that niches and specialities is a good thing but an actual fact depending on the role and as broad a role as what a ranger role should be as you said you you then have a lot of weaknesses and you potentially aren't as desirable as another candidate that's had experience in other fields or other professions other jobs other roles um, so yeah, it makes it quite difficult, but uh, certainly one thing to, to consider when um, if conservation and certainly ranger work is something that um, you want to do um, as a young person. Um, speaking of which then, you've, you've already kind of touched on it, but what would be kind of the one thing you'd like to change or start seeing happen in Scotland for, I suppose, the future of rangers, but also the, the young people that are hopefully going to be the the next foundation work of uh, Rangers in Scotland? Well, what I would like is, is a due political priority. Now, through this pandemic, our country's moved very significantly into debt. We know that there's going to be tough times ahead. We also know that our staycation visitors are going to be with us for quite some time. <laughs> uh, and, and what this uh, pandemic's highlighted is the uh, the lack of investment in infrastructure and support for visitors. So I would like to see a due political priority. Now, there's no point in putting in these facilities if you don't have the staff to run them, if you don't have a focus for uh, visitor management. And so that's a job for Rangers. Um, and so I'd like to see young people having that opportunity. Now, as we know, Luke, at the moment, there's a fair pool of long service and experienced rangers out there um, who are eminently employable in these type of roles. But with all due respect to them, they are not the future. So yes, maybe they can do a job for you and a very good job for two or three years. But I feel that two or three years would be much better invested in a young person, uh, pick up the skills and, and take the profession forward. Um, and actually develop a future for the profession because you know there's going to be a phase of retirements and and people moving on long service people and that, the, that's these skills and backgrounds and uh, knowledge are going to go with them if we don't have that succession now in order to allow that to be passed on so uh, th that's the main thing i would like to see is a, a positive discrimination if we're allowed to say that um, uh, to engage young people uh, in these new opportunities um, and, and get them on the career ladder, get them that starter for 10 in terms of their experience and let them sort out what kind of ranger they would like to be. Because uh, in my experience, not everybody is um, a, a people person and there's some very capable rangers who work away in conservation, do fantastic work um, and have limited 
public engagement, but the public engagement that they do have is vitally important. So we need an opportunity for young people to pick up these skills and acquire that background. Um, so that, that, that political priority is required. It needs to be an active choice because essentially we've got this big debt that's going to be with us for a couple of decades and we need to be make careful choices about how we actually spend the money that's available and, and rangering offers so much in terms of national priorities that it, and value for money i think it, it, making politicians aware of that is, is a role for scra but it's also a role nationally for all rangers uh, to let them do that um, an investment in, in visitor infrastructure and investment in ranger services pays great dividends, not only in terms of engaging people with the climate change process and the mitigation that we need to develop nationally for that, but also in the health agenda, which I've mentioned before. So people's mental health and physical health has been adversely affected by the pandemic. And I'm hoping that there's some lifestyle changes have ar arisen um, during this lockdown that will carry forward for uh, into the future that people make an active choice of accessing green space and understanding the benefits it has for their own mental health. The government have been pushing that as part of the pandemic campaign and I would like to see that continue uh, and a, a due political priority attached to it. Um, also in terms of conservation, now we're I think we are close to the United States in terms of lost species uh, and indeed there might be as far as a, a crisis in that respect um, in terms of uh, species that are disappearing from here are, and invasive species that are arriving and we need people to uh, engage that, be able to work in these fields and people to uh, uh, help the public to understand what the difficulties are and what the, what work needs done. And one ranger in managing 10 volunteers can do 20 times the work of a single ranger. So um, engaging with the public, involving them in these projects is a, is a vital way forward in the future. Of course, well said, um, here, here. Um, it's again, it, it's uh, an important thing for our profession and our industry, how um, obviously money, it comes down to money in every regards and what funds go where, but um, a bigger investment from a government perspective into conservation and, and more importantly, the role that uh, a ranger does, uh, having that value for the, the title um, and internationally recognised role and the, the important work that rangers do specifically um, is invested in and um, built up on, as you said, for young people uh, for the future. Um, speaking of which, um, your current views then on Rangers as a whole in Scotland and how we actually fit into that international picture uh, of Rangers globally? I wonder sometimes if we are living on the reputation of the past that we built up um, and Scotland's role um, as a market leader and as a model that other countries look to, um, I think we uh, need to do a wee bit more work on that if we want to stay up there. So we do have the people engagement skills. If we pick up on the health agenda, then we will be market leaders in that as well. Um, other European nations are looking at what we're doing in terms of that, that, that the health agenda. So that's an important area of work for us. Um, Scotland internationally, I think, yes, we might be living on the glories of the past, but I think in terms of the new world with technology and a post-pandemic world, I think we've got an important leadership role in demonstrating how you can engage with visitors, how you can involve them in conservation, how you can take the energy and commitment that young people are showing towards addressing climate change and turn that into real action. And to me, Rangers are the best people to do that. We've got the skills, we've got the background, 
we've got the tools to do that in terms of interpretation and engagement. So um, that's a way forward for us and, and it's a way of demonstrating to our global Ranger family that, that it's relevant to them as well. So um, a lot of Rangers across Europe, indeed globally, are very concentrated on conservation work, working in designated uh, landscapes, working in national parks with a very strong focus on nature. My focus would be more on people and that's what I would like to see internationally as well. Um, so we do need to step up our game here in Scotland but look we have to bear in mind that we're at a very low ebb in terms of ranger numbers. So we don't have the data but I would think we're really going back to the 70s, 1970s to look at the last time Scotland had so few rangers. Now, that was at a time of growth, as I've mentioned before, when new posts were being added, new services were being created. It was a real boom time. I was fortunate to be part of that, let's say, golden age. But there's no reason for that not to come back. There's no reason um, that, that these skills and philosophy that we had that developed Ranger Services at that time is not applicable to today. It's very, very relevant to today and possibly even more relevant than it was way back in the 70s. So it, it, there is an opportunity here for Rangers in Scotland, there's an opportunity for Rangers globally to demonstrate our worth in terms of tackling, engaging people with tackling climate change, harnessing that energy and enthusiasm that we see from the very young. My, my grandson is nine years old he quotes David Attenborough to me. He tells me about what's going to happen at the end of the world. I, I would like him to have a future. And, uh, and if he had an opportunity to be like his grandfather and be a ranger, nothing would make me happier. I think that's a, it's a really sweet point and um, obviously something that uh, you're very passionate and um, certainly shows um, through the way you talk about it. Um, I think that leads me quite nicely into my final question for you, George. Um, is there anything you'd like to then say to our Scottish, UK and international uh, ranger or other listeners? Um, I'm tremendously proud to be part of this profession. When I look at the dangers and the sheer um, grittiness of the work that happens in Africa, for example, where rangers put their lives on the line every day, mm. um, it's very, very humbling. So we're just a small world. There's no reason that we can't all work together and maybe attach a priority, for example, to that work in in Africa. Um, there's no reason that we can't attach a priority to some of this, some, some of the uh, uh, South American rainforest depletions that we're seeing. Um, we'll have an opportunity on a geopolitical level to uh, attach a priority and, and make investment on a global scale into protecting the, some of these precious resources. What needs to happen, and, and I'm sorry to harp on about this, is that the wider public need to be aware of that work and the importance of that work. And if you engage with the public on that, you, you get the support that you need. If you think of how many wildlife charities there are, and these are some of the biggest charities in the world, it tends to be on conservation and the protection of wildlife. So there's a public interest there, there's finance there, but we need to pull that together and look at it on a global scale. So th there is political implications. So a lot of the pressures in Africa are generated from attitudes and outlooks in China. So you can see that this is not a, a small problem that could be ta tackled at the local level. We need to be thinking globally about how we go about that. And we need to be attaching priorities globally to how we go about that. Now we've got our COP26 conference in Glasgow uh, this November, where all these world leaders will get together and talk about how to cut down our carbon emissions and how to save the planet. 
there'll be a lovely paper exercise in a talking shop. But what they could do there is identify these global priorities and put their money where their mouth is and get some action happening there. So uh, all power to the elbow of my Ranger family around the world. We see from the, the International World Ranger Congress that we are a force to be reckoned with. And as a global family, then I think we could have uh, more say and more influence. Um, and I look forward to the days when that happens. Thank you, George. Um, and yeah, thank you for your time um, and what you've shared with us today. Um, certainly, you're an inspirational person and uh, to me and, um, and within um, my own um, aspirations and um, work that I want to do as a ranger. Um, and yeah, I hope um, people that have listened today have, um, have got something from that. I, I really do. Um, of course, if you'd like to find out more about the Scottish Countryside Rangers Association, um, we're on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, as well as our website, which has everything you need to know about Scottish Rangers from uh, what we do, our standards in Scotland and uh, where we are, um, the Ranger services that currently exist in their geographical location. Uh, on that note, um, I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, George. Again, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, let's um, certainly, I look forward to being able to catch up in physical meetings rather than digitally in the near future. Good show, Luke. Pleasure talking to you. And um, thank you for letting me revisit some of my past glories. I'm a happy man.